everyone, and welcome back to yet again another episode of Women Talk Tech. Today, I'm joined by Tash Hoffman, talent manager at Comex. In this episode, Tash and I discuss why having a voice is important as a woman when working in a male-dominated space. Now, we use the term gatekeeper all the time, and those working in the TA space often get called gatekeepers um, to protect the team, but also as gatekeepers for talent as well. So Tash shares her thoughts on why it's important to use your voice, speak up, and be the cheerleader of diversity when working in the TA space. As a mother also, Tash shares her thoughts on what motherhood looks like for the working world in 2023 and the immense pressure women put themselves under to be perfect and do things correctly all the time. With this in mind, we discuss what companies can do to improve the working world for women and parents in general. So, Tash, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for having me and uh, I'm very excited about this topic as well. Um, I am first and foremost a mum, and so this conversation around women in the workplace, women in tech, and women uh, mothers working as well is very exciting for me. Um, but my career and my job, um, I'm currently a talent manager, so I head up all of the recruiting for our company, um, and our company being a SaaS platform, um, but we're also in sales specifically. So I'm both in the forefront of sales and in tech. And yeah, it's quite quite a fun place to be in at the moment, especially in Europe. Um, but my career is I studied in the US, grew up in South Africa, studied in the US, and then I went into marketing and I've been in marketing and sales in different roles throughout the years. Um, I had a couple of my own startups that I started um, some networks. I feel like one of my strengths is being able to connect people. Um, and funny enough, in looking back um, at my career for this topic specifically, one of my most fun ventures was the Mompreneurs Group. Um, it was a networking network for moms so that they can come together, um, work, and still network with other moms in the industry. And yeah, and then in the last couple of years, I found myself moving towards from marketing and from sales towards recruiting. I never did any formal training. My education was in psychology, which I think comes in handy in most careers. Um, but <laughs> I, I had no um, formal training in recruitment, landed up in an industry um, during COVID where we just boomed, um, online fitness company. And so... I found myself having to grow a team of uh, from 14 to over 100, and um, we had to hire quite quickly for tech, for um, coaching, for a variety of different roles. Um, so I myself ended up focusing on recruiting for the people, and it's through that that I got headhunted for my current role to help with recruiting in all the different roles within our company. And so, yeah, so that's what I currently do. Nice, nice. And I'm sure, um, you know, in a sales tech company, it's um, very male dominated as well. So you've kind of got the, the world of sales combined with the world of tech. So I can imagine it being extremely, extremely male dominated there. Yeah. And it's funny because I feel like that's um, one of the main focuses that our company is trying to break and the stereotypes. Our head of engineering um, is very, very uh, keen on making sure that we get some women on the team. And yeah. um, then we also, in our sales team specifically, have um, one of our sales team leaders is a very strong woman. She's one of the strongest in our sales. Um, and some of the young women that have joined the team 
have actually shown that, you know, those stereotypes about male uh, strength and the pushiness or whatever it is that's stereotypical of sales, they're trying to break that to show that, you know, your strength as a woman um, and your voice matters and that there's a place for us. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what that's what's really, really important about this entire topic. No matter what industry, no matter what space you're in, um, it's just having a voice. And I think that's what I'm really, really keen to discuss with you today. Um, I guess from your side and, and in your industry and in your career, why do you feel like having a voice is particularly important? Um, and, and how have you benefited from using it, so to speak? Well, that's a very loaded question. And I think, you know, <laughs> as women, we all know um and may, you know, hopefully not everyone has experienced all the different pressures, but I think most of us know that there, there's so many um, pressures that's put on you as a woman Yeah, and uh, your voice gets taken out of context and there is language and rhetoric that's associated with women that is not associated ever with, with men. And I think that that makes it even more important for us to be able to have a voice so that we can um, you know, have a seat at the table, um, for a lack of a better term. And um, when you asked me this question, I immediately thought of a recent event. Um, I wasn't there, so I don't want to, you know, um, do it disjustice. I don't know if injustice, but the, the topic was uh, gender and diversity in the workplace. And it was a HR event. And we had a gentleman that stood up and he said, well, let's face it, there are some roles that men are just better at. And uh, like oh. I said, I wasn't at the event, so I have to be careful how I represent this, but it just recently happened. And I just thought, wow, you know, it still is something that people are talking about and saying. And so it's really important for us to have a voice so that we can, you know, dispel some of these stereotypes and make sure that we represent our strength and what we have to offer well. Um, and it's not a, about a, um, you know, movement of any sort. Um, it's just about what's um, what's right and to make sure that women have a voice so that they can represent and that decisions that are made that impact them, uh, they get to contribute towards the decisions as well. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 you know, I couldn't agree more. And I think we're in a space where we are progressing so much. And I think so much is happening for the good. But you still hear so many stories about these sorts of comments. I speak to founders all the time. And I've heard very similar comments like that. Or, you know, why don't you just have a male co founder, you're much, you'll be much better off quite funding if you do that. So yeah, there's very much a lot of progress, but still a lot of work to do. And you can tell that by all the comments that are still being made. So yeah, it's crazy. I still can't believe it. Yeah, I know. And and I think that that, you know, you can either let it defeat you or you can give up or you can actually just be part of the solution to show why it's so important and not in an aggressive way, not in a, um, you know, trying to make a point, but actually just by dispelling all the, the different stereotypes and showing the truth. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you mentioned at Comex, you've never really felt that you didn't have a seat at the table um, and you've always been able to use your voice, which is amazing, but also very much quite rare, um, especially in the industry you're in. Why do you think this is and kind of what's different about, say, your company compared to maybe other experiences other women have had? Um, that's a very good question. And I think it has to do with um, the people. Um, you know, I think there's an intentional movement within the entire team from the top down that uh, women have a voice. I'm so sorry. Yeah. 
Yeah. Why did I just worry about it? I'm going to just turn that off. <clears throat> All right, I'll answer that one for you again. <laughs> um, I think it it's a very interesting question, and I think it has to do with the team and the people that's a part of the team. Um, there's a movement from the top down, um, for from the leadership down, that every voice matters. And, you know, your um, topic of diversity in general, um, it, you know, this goes so much further than just your your gender. Um, and I think that that is something that is so valid um, at comics is that we really make an effort and from the top down, the leadership to make sure that everybody's voice is heard. And so, yeah, so I think that's why um, there's also an open culture. Um, so when we're in a meeting, you know, there's there's very rarely I mean, it's not a perfect environment, you know, no company is. So let's not paint a illusion um but very rarely do you get cut off or very rarely does your point not you know get to um be completed so you get to say your full statement and then say why you you think what you think but we very also um highly value making sure that we don't uh, put emotions first it's facts data and then we make decisions um based on that yeah, yeah, I think that that's that's quite interesting because you said very facts and, and database and not emotions. Um, how I mean, what's how do you describe that and how do you, I guess, give an example of how a decision has been made that hasn't used emotion? <laughs> that's a very good one. Um, I see being in recruiting, there is a gut feeling that some people have in the business. Um, I have a gut feeling about people. Um, but I can't make my decision based on my emotions about someone. I have to back it up with data. And so in my recruitment process, the way that I've built it with our team, because there have been decisions that were made where people are like, nope, you know, this is a, is a gut feeling. We can't, um, you know, make this decision. Um, but now in our recruitment process, we're very clear and we say we need to give three reasons why we don't think that this is a good decision for us as a team. And they need to be factual. They can't be gut. They can't be abstract. And so your gut might be that someone would not be a great fit for the team, but then we need to actually say why. Uh, because their way of speaking would be aggressive towards the, the rest of the team or, um, you know, that their um, skill set is not necessarily matching exactly what we're looking for. There has to be facts that's attached to it. It can't be just based on your gut. And so, it, yeah, I mean, like, as who I am, um, that was something that I had to to check myself on as well to make sure that um, I made the right choices. And so I think I still bring my gut into it, um, but it it really is important that we have data that backs it up so that we don't make a decision um, that's not for the best for everybody involved. Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting here laughing because there's been so many times as a recruiter that I've been working with a company and that excuse where I, I just don't feel like they're going to be a great fit. It's like, you don't feel or are they not going to be a great fit based on something else? And I, and I do agree, especially when we are trying to discriminate or not discriminate in terms of that. We're trying to kind of eliminate the bias. We have to get rid of the emotion behind the decisions that are made and it has to be not just I feel that they're not going to be a great fit. They don't have this, this, and this, and that. And that's why factually they're not going to be a great fit. So I definitely see the benefit of that for sure. That's right. And I think, you know, what's hard as a, as a woman in recruiting and when we're trying to, like if we're talking now about recruiting in tech, sometimes my bias is that I want to give, I want to give a girl a chance, you know, I want to back her. 
Um, but at the end of the day, we have to go back to what is required for the role and to make sure that, you know, she has what it takes as well, um, not just in who she is, um, but her skills as well. But it goes both ways. Sometimes we have someone with the skills and then, you know, they're not the, the person either. Um, so that hiring needs to be holistic, the entire person, who they are, what they bring, what they offer, their skill set. And um, yeah, I think that's what makes diversity so fun because you get to bring in some really cool voices into the conversation. Mm, yeah, because I was going to say it does go both ways, right? You know, I, I'm the same. I always want to give people a chance, especially when you are trying to improve diversity in a team. And that sometimes does mean giving someone a chance that may not have all aspects of the requirements, mm -hmm. but equally, right, they have to have the skills to, to do the job and you can't just hire because they're a female. And that's what I hate, right? I don't just want to say yes to someone because they're a female and they're going to add a number. That's not what we want to do because it doesn't really change anything. Yeah, and I think sometimes we find the right people and they don't have the skill set. Um, so then we have to measure with the people that they're going to be working with because it's one thing for me to say like, oh man, they would be an incredible addition to our team. But whoever's going to manage them and lead them has to be able to put in the work and time that it requires to get them upskilled as well. And so yeah. we, we have, there has been decisions where we've gone like, you know what, this person's epic. They are incredible. Um, let's put in the time and effort that's required. Let's, you know, put them on the, the class course, whatever it is, so that they can um, learn what they need to. But then also, you know, let's give them a buddy within the team that's going to help support them. So it, it is, uh, it's not impossible to hire people based on their um, personality only and, and like basic skills. I feel like it needs to be wet cement. Like you need to have a little bit of foundational, you know, and then we can like help mold it into the right place. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where, uh, you know, if someone hasn't been given an opportunity in other companies, maybe based on their gender, maybe based on whatever it is, the discrimination that they face, you know, we can actually help. Um, give that boost in their career and, uh, you know, a career title that's actually going to help them as well. Yeah, yeah. And I guess in your role, I'm sure you are acting, we hear the word gatekeeper all the time, right? Uh, and it works both ways. It works even from a from a protection point of view, but also just from a from an actual gatekeeper point of view. And I think your role um, and many people in the kind of TA team, um, they are the gatekeepers. They are protecting the team they are making sure that anyone that comes in the team does not disrupt what kind of is going on already so I guess from your side and I'm sure there will be many other kind of talent acquisition uh women listening to the podcast why do you think it's important for women to kind of use their voices speak up um protect the team which is of course the main thing uh, but also still somewhat be a cheerleader, cheerleader sorry for diversity how does that work yeah that's um that's a loaded question Shade <laughs> I think, um, I mean, there's there's two sides to it, like you said. So on on the if I'm looking for a position within a company as a woman and I maybe, you know, feel like I'm competing against the masses, um, using your voice um, would be and this is now coming from the recruiter and, you know, the, the gatekeeper, I guess, like you said, um, from our side, we would love to see a cover letter that just very briefly, not like a, a long essay, just a very quick little thing tells us a little bit about who you are, a CV that is concise and to the point, but also like easy to read and interesting. So I think that, you know, people discredit how important their cover letter and their CV is for those first initial impressions. And, um, 
I think, you know, don't lose your personality, but also keep it professional. Like try to yeah. make sure that it's easy, not distracting and engaging. Um, but there's another element that I think that people sometimes forget. You have experiences throughout your life that doesn't necessarily come up on LinkedIn. Make a little section on your CV that says who you are and what you've done, whether it's volunteer work, whether it is a high school project that you did, whatever it is that is a part of your DNA um, that wouldn't necessarily be listed on a LinkedIn profile. Put it very concisely, please, not 10 pages again, because I think then people will say you're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. So um, if you can concisely put something down that shows your personality, that goes back to that gut feeling about someone. Um, if you had experiences with other cultures, you know, and um, whatever it is, when you show your own diversity as well and what you've got to offer to the team, um, I think that makes you appealing as well. Yeah, yeah. And I guess from your point of view as well, as um, the gatekeeper for your own team, why is it important and why is it important for so many other gatekeepers as such to to really speak up and use their voice, uh, protect the team, but also still very much be aware of that diversity? Because I think is a, there's a thin line between not letting anyone in um, in that respect, but also still being a voice for diversity and actually pushing people in that could bring a different perspective to the team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, um, again, it goes back to that loaded topic of what is diversity because diversity could mean so many different things, you know, um, in our case, like we, you know, you look at it in the context of which country you're working in and which country your offices are and like, what is diversity in your context, you know? So for some it's race, for some it's gender, religion, beliefs, like so many different things, sexuality, identity, like it just goes on and on and on. And at the end of the day, seeing the person for the person, seeing them for who they are as a whole and not trying to break them down by checkboxes, like do they match a certain checkbox? Um, but if I see someone who is transgender, who has fought this battle to um, find their identity and have this incredible career CV that goes along with it, I am going to call up the hiring manager directly and say, like, I feel like you need to look at this person because of yeah. the tenacity that they have, what they've faced, what they've gone through. Um, it shows grit. You know, there's so much that is um, a part of the individual as a whole, not just their transgender. Yeah. So I think that's, um, that's where I can play a role in my team plays a role is that we fight for people for who they are and not just for the check boxes and what they, um, what they check off. And I think that's also part of our process here is that we do have a meeting with me or um, my, my teammate. Um, we do a check because we do a cultural read on the person. Like, can I actually connect with you? You know, like, is there more to the paper um, in your CV? And that's an important one as well. And I must say, it's very, very hard not to connect with me. So <laughs> there, there's very little that, um, you know, would not um, pass through. But I think it's the same time as also we have to make sure that we protect the team as a whole and that people will be able to work together in their teams. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I guess, you know, in using our voice and, and having a voice, it's important to to kind of use it, like I just said. So I think why i mean what's the advantages um and, and maybe from your experience as well what do you think are some of the advantages that companies may not see um they should see from actually listening to more women Ooh, um 
wow, I feel like I need to be careful not to stereotype women as well. Um, I think that as women, there is intuitively some elements that make us um, who we are in our way of looking at life and instincts and things that, you know, can be learned, but it's really intrinsic in, in who we are. And um, I guess that goes to that identity thing that we were talking about before. Um, but it's also such a huge scale because women are, it's just one element of, of, you know, being a woman. So um, can I use my example rather than trying to generalize? Cause I feel like it would be unfair to all women everywhere. But in my experience, um, I have a strong maternal instinct. <laughs> and so <clears throat> whether, you know, whether it is something that I grew up with or something that was trained in me or something that I was born with, I don't know, but I have a strong maternal instinct. And so I am very protective of people coming into our, uh, our fold. And when I mean that, it's like the minute that they submit an application with us, I'm protective of them. I want to make sure that they're taken care of, that they're treated with respect, that they're um, you know, seen for who they are rather than just uh, paper. And so that's my the one thing that I think I have brought to the team and to the way that we look at our whole recruitment into our company. Um, but also, you know, I'm part of an HR team that I bring that element into our people ops in our team as well in the way that we help our team to make sure that if there is a, uh, recently we had a taxi strike in Cape Town, you know, to just think about like, how does that, how does that affect the everyday person within our team that we make sure that we check in with them and are they doing okay? You know, like is, um, are the moms, you know, able to work because their kids are at home? Like just things like that, that I think intrinsically I think of, or that I can bring to the table that maybe, you know, like if you didn't have that, or if you didn't have that wiring, um, it wouldn't even come to mind. And so I think that that brings that care and, um, you know, wholeness to a team that we're not just tasks, but we're actually people. And it's people and tasks are always in this balance because if we just task driven, we lose the people and we lose them in our team. If we're just people driven, we don't get anything done. So yeah. it's balance of both that's so super important. And yeah, I think that that would, what I would say for me personally, that's what I feel I bring to the team. Um, but again, there's so many different elements to what makes a woman and what is a woman's voice. So my advice to anyone listening is find what that thing is and who you are and what makes you who you are. And then lean in for a lack of a better term, um, leaning on Sheryl Sandberg's book there, but lean into the conversation and don't uh, shy away from speaking up and saying, Hey, I feel like um, this is something that we should pay attention to and back it up with data, then you're very rarely not going to be heard. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said, you know, you're speaking on behalf of yourself because I think it's really important to, to highlight not all women are going to want exactly the same things or are going to say the exact same thing. So it's really important to be able to listen to all women and all people in general. I think that's the benefit of having a diverse team and a diverse company that you can listen to different perspectives and you can be really open and you can then learn from so many people right I think that that's what's really important when when actually using your voice is you'll be able to learn from having so many different opinions there yeah exactly that's, yeah. that's the key is listening um, yeah and I mean obviously we have 
in our company and in any company, you need like a dominating guideline. This is where we're going and using your voice to the betterment of where we're going. Because if we, we put up our hand and we say like, I feel like we should do this and it's not in line with where we're going, then you're actually watering down the efforts of what the company's mission is. So make sure that your plan, idea, uh, you know, suggestion is in line with where you're going. And as long as it um, benefits everyone um, and not just a few. Yeah, definitely. And I guess what changes do you think we can make uh, to improve the workplace to allow women to be able to feel comfortable to use their voice? Because I think it's important, right, that not all environments will be the same and not all women will feel comfortable to say anything or use their voice. So, you know, maybe just very simply and, and kind of from your experience, what changes do you think companies should consider making uh, that will allow women to use their voices more? Um, I think it's the RECA model. Uh, for communication. If you follow this structure in your um, day-to-day communications in team meetings, then it doesn't matter who you are, you will have an opportunity to speak your voice and to, um, you know, speak up. And so as a manager, maybe I can challenge you to say, listen for everyone. Uh, Don't let the dominating voices dominate every time. Give everybody an opportunity to speak and uh, follow this model, the RACA model, to make sure that you give everybody an opportunity to speak, that everybody has a turn, but at the same time, um, that there's proper listening that's happening as well. And I'll find that um, link for you so that you can share that if you need to. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. Uh, And yeah, Tash, one topic which I was really keen on discussing today was motherhood um, and motherhood in the working world. Um, Because I think it's really important to I guess talk about it more I don't think we talk about motherhood and and the and I guess how to do the working well I guess like that you know Mm. I don't have any children yet myself but the thought of having a family and also carrying out a career is quite intimidating and I don't know how honestly I don't know how anyone manages to do both because it is quite scary and it can be quite a lot so yeah I mean from your experience and kind of what you know what does motherhood look like um, for mothers in the working world in 2023? Like, what is it like? Mm. It's it's so uh, tricky these days as well because we add into work from home, and uh, we so many of us are faced with. It was before COVID, and if you didn't work from home, you know, it was leave the house, leave all of the responsibilities at home, and then go to the office, and then come back, and then the responsibilities have piled up. In 2023, there is a fine balance between um, am I mom or am I a working mom? And choosing actually that, you know, am I going to be mom first and then my work defines the rest of what I do with the rest of the time that I have? Or the other way around, am I work first and I just happen to be a mom? And so I think that defines how your day looks. If you are work first, and I am first to say no mother should ever judge any other mother and no one should judge a mother in general because I think everyone's just trying to do their very best. Um, But if you are working first and, um, you know, being a mother is just part of who you are, it's just one of the things that you um, have accomplished or done, or I don't know how to to phrase it other than it's just something that is a part of who you are, uh, you can then choose that quality over quantity. 
And I think that that was the best advice someone gave me years ago when I didn't have the freedom that I do now is that, you know, if you look at, oh, you know, all the hours that I'm not spending with my kids and, and, and ringing yourself, you know, through the ringer because you feel so guilty, choose your job. If that's what you choose, do that. And then put the support in place for your children that they need so that they can thrive, but then make quality time for them and make that quality like you know if whatever it is if it's the evenings or if it's um, afternoon time that you want with them or whatever it is make sure that that is what you focus on and not how many hours you've lost but actually the quality that you're doing with them and uh, it changes your world because immediately that guilt falls away because you're focusing on building relationships with them and pouring quality into their lives rather than like feeling like you know I've dropped the ball here I've failed there and then on the other flip side, you know, if you're privileged enough to have a, you know, an opportunity uh, where you can choose to be mom first and then have, um, you know, a career on the side, um, make sure that you build in structures for your place, for yourself in place. Make sure you put structures in place for yourself because, um, you know, everything will bleed over. And especially in this uh, post-COVID world where we're, you know, we're faced with all the the tasks of washing and, uh, you know, home and all the rest that comes along with it as well. Make sure that you put structures in place for yourself where you can say, okay, this is my family time. This is my work time. And this is dedicated time. Um, because at the end of the day, as long as you're able to deliver on your job, uh, the conversations with employers these days is changing to quality as well over quantity of how many hours you're putting in, like, are you putting out the, the efforts and, you know, are you delivering? Um, then you can have the conversation for them, with them to say, like, I'd like to start a little bit later because I want to make sure I get my kids off to school fine, or I want to finish a little earlier, whatever it is. Um, and I think that that is the important thing is uh, setting yourself up for success by making sure you have structures in place. Then you can, um, you know, talk to others about expectations because um, I think the problem comes in when we have this guilt, constant guilt, and we're trying to have our employer solve it for us where we're like, oh, you know, like I need to be with my kids more. Decide what you're going to do, how you're going to thrive in your career, and then um, you can have the conversations with them. Mm, yeah and on that topic of mum guilt I hear that word all the time and I'm now 25 years old I still hear my mum talk about mum guilt and I'm like mum I'm an adult you there's no way you should be having this like I just don't get it but I get that it does kind of come no matter how old your child is there is that kind of feeling of not doing enough or how can you do more how have you kind of dealt with mum guilt in relation to work and and I guess yeah how have you found it Okay, so I'm looking up something so quickly because I want to share this with you. Um, <clears throat> it's a meme, so give me one second. We can cut around this. Um, I can't find it now, but I'm just going to try and ad lib. So your mom saying that she's facing this guilt, um, it's, I just find it so hilarious because you're right. Like moms everywhere, it doesn't matter how old your children are, are dealing with uh, this guilt of did I do enough? 
And I think that has to come with society because, you know, if you look at moms in the 80s, if your kids were well-fed, if they were doing okay in school and, you know, if they were reasonably well-behaved, then you were rocking it as a mom. But now these days, are your children eating organic? Are they limited screen time? Are you like, you know, working full-time, but you're also looking amazing and your house is a Pinterest perfect house and all these other things that are, um, you know, put on mothers these days. And so I think there comes a point where you have to decide what is most important to you. Um, is it going to be having the Pinterest perfect house and that your career funds that? Fantastic. Well done for you. But at the same time, I think we also need to cut ourselves some slack because there is no perfect. And you need to roll with the punches and go through the phases in your life and in your career and to say, okay, so in this phase, I really need to put in a lot of hard yards into my company. I need to, you know, work some extra hours, then, you know, make sure that um, you communicate with your family to say, this is what I'm doing. Um, I want to make sure that everybody understands and supports me um, so that I can be able to do this. And, uh, that helps a lot with the guilt because then you're not feeling like you're letting people down. You've actually made sure you communicate it. You've effectively planned and then, uh, you know, rolling out uh, a, a plan that is closer to what yeah. you want. But there is never going to be a perfect plan. And I think that that's something that really releases a lot of pressure for us when we let go of the perfect yeah yeah like I said I I say to mum all the time like how could you be so feelingless but I do get it right it's 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 a constant until I guess you stop becoming a mum um which I'm sure you won't <laughs> you know it's for that constant feeling of have I done enough are they okay and I think yeah the, the kind of working and even the kind of ideal not ideal mum but the mum now has you know like you said are they eating organic have they got oat milk have they got soy milk like there's so much now that you have to think about when you go on social media and it's just it's a lot to deal with so I can see how much it can really affect people mm, exactly and I think that that's the thing we have to be mindful of is to um, be very careful of social media like you said because there's a lot on social media that will tell us what the ideal is as well. And we have to decide what is the ideal for us and what is it that we want for our kids and for our families and for ourselves as well. Because I think um, that's another uh, danger that um, so many of us, you know, working moms fall into is that we put our careers first, we put our families first and our kids first. And at the end of the day, we actually uh, have very little time for ourselves. But to also goes back to that planning your day and making sure that you plan time in for you into your schedule. And that takes care of some of the guilt as well. Um, going back to that oxygen mask um, analogy, you know, that moms are so often busy putting on everyone else's oxygen masks, but they're suffocating. And so put on your oxygen mask, make sure that you get exercise or yoga or meditation or whatever it is that's going to fill you up so that you can um, fill up others and be um, yeah in, impactful in your in your work as well yeah yeah and you know from your point of view what can companies do to improve the working world for women and parents in general I think let's be let's be mindful that being a parent isn't just for, for women to do it's a family um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an all one um, so yeah I mean what do you think companies can do to to kind of make the working world more parent friendly, should I say? <laughs> That's a really good uh, question. And I think that this is something that, um, you know, 
in the last couple of years, we've made massive strides uh, by allowing people flexible working hours and uh, flexible working space as well. Um, you take off a lot of pressure from people when they're able to choose to work from home very often because they can quickly do a couple of things around the house instead of commuting. That commuting time actually chews away so much of your personal time um, or you can get a workout in or things that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do otherwise or quality time with your kids as well because you don't have to rush off to uh, you know a city an hour away. Um, so that's the first thing is flexible working hours um, and also focus on outputs rather than uh, hours and also outputs, um, you know, and allowing you to work in whatever context or setting that is best for you. So for example, um, something that we follow is the new work philosophy and the way that we, we play it out is it's freedom with responsibility. So you have the freedom to choose where you want to work. Is that from home? Is it from the office? You know, is it from a co-working space somewhere? That's your freedom. Uh, add a little bit in there of like, you know, workation uh, freedom as well. So people can choose the location so that they can get refreshed at the same time as working, which is also revolutionary to think about it that way. Um, and then, uh, you know, flexible in the hours as well. So yes, of course, like there are certain hours that we need during our general working hours that we need to relate to, you know, business hours. So if it is for team members to be able to have team meetings, or if it is for meeting with a client, or, you know, in our case, it's with a prospective applicant, there's certain hours that's just going to be better for them. Yeah. But, you know, if someone is able to get up early in the morning and get a whole bunch of work done before the business hours, or if they prefer to do admin in the evening, give them the choice. And I think that that is something that has been life-changing for me personally, because by having that choice, I build my day and structure my day that when you and I are done here, I go pick up my kids and I can actually spend time watching them at their sports games. And then I come home and I do work again and I'm able to then, you know, be with them for dinner time. So for me personally, that's really changed the way that I work because I can then do my admin if there is any admin left over. Because if I was so productive during the hours that I did have, um, then I can do it in the evening. But it's my choice. It's no one like writing down and micromanaging how many hours I've actually put in. So I think that that's the, the key is, is helping people choose um, how they can deliver the best. And we need to move away from this industrial business hour um, mindset. Uh, yeah. if, you are, if your job allows for that, obviously there are some that are <laughs> time-driven. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's important to bear in mind that the, the benefit of flexible working and how much of an impact that really does have on families. Because I think we've, we've moved into this kind of, flexible working world and it's benefited so many people that we tend to forget what it was like beforehand and I'm like I'm so guilty of that as well myself I have no children but I love going to the gym in the morning before work I love having a bit of time after work with, with no commute and I think there's been so many benefits from the flexible working world that I think has benefited everyone but especially parents and I think that's the one thing we take away from the pandemic as tragic as it was I think mm. it, it gave so many families a lot more time and freedom to actually be a family and spend time with their children absolutely and I think it's it also put an emphasis on what we were missing and I think that that's why there's such a big push and movement now for us to say I don't want to lose out on this um, and you know because of the working environment that we do have um, at our at comics specifically 
I get so many applications of people saying that they are being, you know, asked to come back to the office. And I think there's different reasons and, and, you know, regulations and, and uh, reasoning for this. So um, not making anyone feel, you know, terrible for actually calling their employees back to the office. Cause I just recently saw that zoom called back half of their employees to the office, <clears throat> the irony. Um, so you know, that that all aside, if you're able to, to give people flexi, even if it's like a few days a week, you know, that they can work from home or that they can choose their working hours, I think it will make a huge impact um, in their productivity. And I think, you know, we, we underestimate uh, going back to the mom guilt, how much you think about your kids when you're unable to even be with them. And so if I was able to know, like, this time I'm going to be with them back to that quality over quantity and I can focus on them and not be distracted with work or feel like I have to, you know, respond to any Slack messages. Yeah. If I'm fully be present with them, then my time at work is full, fully present as well, because I don't have to worry about, um, am I going to get enough time? You know, I'm going to make that a good quality time. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Uh, well, no, Tash, honestly, thank you so much for joining me. I know that I've got some hefty questions there. So yeah, thanks so much for joining me. And yeah, I really, really do help that companies can take a lot from this, especially on the topic of motherhood, because I think we don't talk about it enough. And I'm glad we were able to have this conversation and really highlight the importance companies do have in allowing their employees to be the best parents they can be, because the better parent they are, that I'm sure the better person they are for you because they don't have that kind of mum guilt. So yeah, I'm really excited for that topic uh, to, for everyone to listen to it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me as well. And and I mean, again, I hope that, you know, any anything I said here, people will know that I'm trying to represent myself best uh, rather than trying to speak up for all women or for all uh, employers um, because it's such a diverse, um, excuse the pun, but such a <laughs> broad topic. And I hope that maybe someone can resonate with this specifically, um, but I don't think we should stop the conversation either. I think this should only, you know, start more conversations within companies and um, amongst us as, as women and parents in general.